in a world looking for something to listen to. A group of friends rise to the challenge. It's Pop Samurai. What's going on, Pop Samurai fans? Welcome to another great Pop Aficionados, your one-stop shop for hyper-focused pop culture topics where we kind of look at a certain thing from pop culture, really really put it under, underneath a magnifying glass, our magnifying glasses, fans and friends here, and just kind of talk about it, have a fun discussion about it. Are we experts? Some of us are um, on this on this panel here today, but uh, yeah, we're usually just here for fun, guys, and uh, hopefully you are being uh, a friend and a fan with us as well. Uh, you can find us all over the place, social media, Pop Samurai uh, on Instagram, Facebook, at Pop Samurai Cast on Twitter, and find out more about the our shows at popsamurainetwork.com. Uh, uh, this is your host, Jelani Hoon, along with host... Joel Paparaki. And special guest this week... Rob Whelan. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us here on the podcast. So, you are our aficionado this week. Mm-hmm. And this week, we are hyper-focusing on tabletop RPGs. Specifically, things like, uh, examples like D&D, uh, the big one. You know, no mm-hmm. one's ever heard of D&D, right? No, no, uh, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's a small art film of a, of a game that very few people really get into. <laughs> yes. So, for people out there who not may not know your body of work or, or things that you do, uh, can you... Give them a little intro, a little synopsis on who Rob is. Sure. Uh, I am an author, game designer, and professional nerd. Uh, As an author, I've written for a variety of websites, including uh, The Onion uh, in their Gameological Society. Uh, I'm most commonly seen uh, here in Milwaukee on uh, Milwaukee Record. Um, And I'm seen nationally, most commonly, on uh, Geek and Sundry, uh, which is a tabletop sort of news and lifestyle site um, that is perhaps mo- most famously known either, depending on uh, how uh, well-known or uh, how well internet-read you are, either as the home of Tabletop with Will Wheaton or uh, Critical Role with Matthew Mercer. And um, I produce a lot of the the additional content that, you know, when you go to watch the video, you're like, you know, bored. And you're like, oh, let's click on this article and read it while the thing's playing in the background. Um, as a uh, game designer, I've worked on dozens of tabletop game designs. Um, the majority of them have been uh, tabletop role-playing games. And uh, they run the gamut from small indie press stuff that you buy on PDF and only exist electronically, mm-hmm. all the way up to big um, licensed products that you can find at, um, uh, at at bookstores outside of the sort of specialty game stores, like um, you know, game uh, licenses like Star Wars and Star Trek and Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a professional nerd, uh, which means that I host a variety of events uh, throughout uh, the city of Milwaukee, um, and I do seminars that talk about uh, my experiences as a game designer and an author, um, and I am a special guest at conventions, including, um, I'm sure, I don't know if this will be out before or after, the uh, Midwest Gaming Classic um, this weekend, um, where I will in fact be doing a, uh, a seminar called, uh, everything you want to know about D and D, but we're too cool to ask. Spoilers. <laughs> this is coming out right after. <laughs> <laughs> so you just missed it, guys. Oh, well, you guys right. need to follow. Uh, well, fo- then, then you'll get a lot of comments of like, that guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks for coming on the show. Um, so 
as we do here on Pop Aficionados, we kind of take our we take a trip through history. I guess is what we do. Our history, the the topics history. So let's take it far back. Back to uh, let me check my my special device here. Back when Gary Gygax and David Arneson first published it in 1974, Dungeons and Dragons. Correct. Uh, yes. So this is before Wizard in the Coast uh, took it over. Was publishing everything like that. Started uh, off there. This is the, this is what it is uh, a module basically on on war games. What it was. So um, from from what I what I remember uh, when when I was given the the scrolls of history by my uh, my Jedi mentor, um, uh, Arneson and uh, Gygax were war game aficionados, and they published their own uh, rules uh, called chainmail, um, and you know th- because that's what you did uh, like. D and D was born here in Wisconsin, in Lake Geneva, um, and I feel so uh, I feel so attached. And, and, and uh, it, it is honestly, it's so interesting proud. to see sort of the 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 advantages and disadvantages of it. Like on the one hand, the advantages are you can go to into a used bookstore here and find like a pristine version of the you know old box set for like five bucks that has a bunch of modules jammed in it that you know the the person who sold it completely forgot about and we walk out of the used bookstore feeling like that you you know scooped up the holy grail while no one was looking the downside is that uh, i think people can get a little um like i think people get wrapped up in 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 only really playing dungeons and dragons here um and because you know it, it's it's it, it's something that's been in the 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 geek DNA here since 1974. So people like some people get married to systems and don't and like play one game and that's it and that's fine. Um, but uh, sometimes when you're looking to do something outside of that, people get a little like look at you strange. Like there there there's other stuff out there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are other systems, um, other modules. So uh, Gygax and Arneson developed Chainmail, and that um, evolved into them wanting to add fantasy elements into um, the uh, into the experience. Now uh, Gygax <laughs> uh, Gygax has said at different times that. Uh, Lord of the Rings influenced uh, D&D, and it also didn't influence D&D. And it really kind of depends on when you listen to him and when you talk to him. But, but uh, for me, it, it, it makes sense. Like, they also were influenced by uh, Robert E. Howard and Conan, mm, the Barbarian yeah. stories, okay. and that sort that. of pulp sword and, and, and sorcery style. Um, and those influences came together in Dungeons and Dragons uh, as as a way to kind of do a campaign mode of their miniatures rules, but also evolved into this other type of game, which is a role playing game. Um, and the idea being that you weren't just marching tiny miniatures on a field, but you were also um, you know, trying to solve puzzles and riddles and, um, you know, and, and have a consistent character that you would play uh, individually or as, uh, you know, two or three people as opposed to I am this faceless general of a miniatures army. You were a specific type of character. And um, the game came out in the 70s and really started to gain momentum 
uh, as more and more people like you talk about these days about things going viral and you know it's assumed that oh that's really only an internet term well that's kind of how D&D got popular was because people would share it yeah. and go oh they would go to conventions and like wargaming conventions to be like it's a different kind of game and it, and and um, eventually it got to the point where they form uh, a company TSR uh, tactical studies rules is what TSR stands for and they published uh, um additional editions of uh, of Dungeons and Dragons. And once they started doing that, that's when you started to see other companies as well um, publish their version of a role-playing game. And that's when and you really started to see the evolution of tabletop role-playing games in like the early 80s, um, both from TSR as well as other companies. And a lot of companies started out as uh, basically third-party providers of dungeons for, for D&D. But then, you know, I mean, w- with the way that the, that the game was created, um, I mean, uh, when when people play a, a, a game, a lot of times they have an experience of like, I love this game, except this like one thing that really kind of bugs mm, me and I wish yeah. I did it a little bit differently. And that's what you started to see um, in these other uh, in these other games where, you know, pe- th- that's why fantasy I think is still the most popular genre for tabletop RPGs, just because a lot of people are like, I love D and D, but I want this thing to be different. I want it to be, uh, more gritty where like one sword strike will take you out or, or I want it to be less gritty and I want it to be really high magic where people can like travel through time and like, you know, summon magical, giant golems to so like emphasis on a specific right you're you're basically fiddling kind of with the knobs and the dials sure. of turning of, something of, up of what you want yeah. and then and then uh other people uh want to emulate specific genres um and that's where you see a lot of evolution in the 80s where people start to put out games that are mimicking uh Mimicking other genres and mimicking sort of you know popular movies and TV at the time and and tabletop RPGs are interesting because they they've always kind of been this borrowed media mm-hmm. of like they haven't you they somebody watches a movie and goes I want to experience that from the inside and that's why they design a tabletop game and, and that's what that's where you start to see uh, games like um, uh, Traveler which was one of the first uh, RPGs where everybody played a kind of space captain, mm. uh, you know, in the in kind of in the vein of, of, of Han Solo, where you were, you know, kind of bumming around the galaxy, taking on cargoes both legitimate and not. Um, and you also see things like Gamma World, which was a, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, after the bombs have dropped, you're playing, instead of elves and orcs, you're playing... Uh, like sentient plants and like, you know, nice. kind of, uh, cool. of, of funky stuff like that. Um, and they it got to the point in, in the, in <laughs> the eighties, uh, uh, that's when you started to see uh, licensed RPGs start to appear um, where people would actually go to the company and say, uh, to a company that made a movie and say, we want to do the official, you know, Star Trek role-playing game. And they'd be like, and because of the, of the burgeoning popularity of RPGs at the time, uh, companies took a chance and said, yeah, let's do an official Star Trek RPG. And that's how 
that's where you started to see companies other than TSR um, build up because they uh, would grab these licenses and people want to play the official version as opposed to the sure. semi-official version. Um, and TSR got in, into the act too. Um, one of their big successes was the first Marvel superheroes RPG, which is still beloved to this day um, uh, that used official art assets and, nice. you know, looked like a comic book and um, it, uh, you know, it, 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 it was also one of those, the, the first times that nerds got to have that, well, who's stronger in a fight? Thor versus Hulk. I mean, come on, yeah. guys. <laughs> nice. And you would look at their stats and, and still argue about them, but yeah. you know, oh, they, yeah, were, yeah. they were there and they were official. Um, but then TSR also had some really big misses, too, uh, such as the Indiana Jones role-playing mm. game. Um, and uh, that one w- had a very interesting history that um, uh, ran. they ran into problems uh, because the terms of the license didn't allow them to let people make their own characters, which I think for a lot of people, that's the, that's the lure of it. Yeah. Um, and so you only could officially play uh, as characters from the movies. And at the time there were only two movies. Mm-hmm. So there was this very big drop off of like, okay, you can play Indiana Jones. You can play Marion Ravenwood. You can play short round. Mm-hmm. Then you can play Willie Scott. <laughs> then you can play Wuhan, the guy who gets shot in the yeah. beginning of Temple of Doom. Wow. Then you can play Jock Lindsay, who's the guy who flies the plane. Yeah. Like, you know, it 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 it's, that drop, it's dropping off quick. Well, it, it doesn't <laughs> seem like fun. Like one guy is this, you know, cool two-fisted archaeologist. Yeah, yeah one yeah. guy's a pilot guy yeah yeah you know um you don't have much backstory to go off of either right right so what 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 then started to happen was uh tsr started to to develop its own worlds um uh and that's where you started to see things like forgotten realms and dragonlance and um dark sun and uh spelljammer and they they uh, they started creating these the, these very lush worlds to game in rather than assume that the player was going to, you know, make their own world and uh, or Greyhawk, I guess. Is, yeah. Greyhawk is technically the first one. I know there's a there's a some guys out there screaming Greyhawk right now. That yeah, I think. Um, but uh, and that brought in a lot of people, but it also kind of had the adverse effect of splitting their core audience because. If you, if you were a fan of D&D and you were a fan of Greyhawk and maybe Dragonlance, whenever they would release a Dark Sun, you know, thing, you're not going to buy it. You don't care. No. And, uh, and, and, that, and that, that splintering, I think, is one of the reasons why uh, TSR um, uh, started to have problems in uh, the, the, the later uh, 90s, um, and the kind of the late eighties, cause they, they were churning through products so quickly. They didn't even have an idea of things like overhead and markup. Like they were putting out these gorgeous box sets with like maps and books and, uh, little widgety bits and, and things and high gloss. Yeah. Like high, <laughs> like high gloss paper and, and all that stuff. And they the the unit markup on like they were basically selling them at cost Oof. in the uh, wow. in, in the bookstore and um, it they um, now a lot of this stuff 
I can't believe I'm going to do this, that I'm going to plug someone else's work on, on uh, podcast first. But what? Um, I'm going to bleep it out right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but um, uh, one of my old friends, uh, oldest friends, Ben Riggs, did a, is doing a great uh, series of kind of the history of TSR on Geek and Sundry uh, that goes into cool. a lot more detail. Like I'm, I'm, I'm honestly pulling most of my stuff from what, I, what I've heard plus what he uh, has had. Plus there's an excellent... Um, there's an excellent hit. If you really want to fall down a, a, a tabletop gaming Wikipedia hole, there's an excellent series of books called Designers and Dragons by Shannon Appleclein, Appleseine. I'm, I know I butchered that name. I'm sorry, Shannon. Um, but it's, it, it lists, it, it breaks things down by decade and it kind of, it, it, it's almost like a weird wiki in its way because you'll read an article about a particular game or a particular company. And then at the bottom, it'll, it'll be, it's kind of like a choose your own nerd adventure. Cause it'll be like, <laughs> do you want to know more about, yeah. uh, about the company that published this game? Go to this book. Do you want to know more about the guy who wrote the game and what he did afterwards? Go to this book. Do you know, do you want to more? And it's, it's, it's very easy. It was very easy for me when I was first reading these books to just kind of, Get lost. Get, get lost and be like, <laughs> I looked up one thing, and it's like a half hour later. What the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, TSR ran into issues uh, um, in the late, uh, in the late mid to late nineties um, because it wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, it also ran into issues because it had partnered with a Random House to get their materials in. Um, in bookstores, so that's mm-hmm. that's how you saw D and D in like Walden in, in these ancient places known as Walden Books and Beetle yes. Bookseller Walden in the long, long ago, the before the time, the before <laughs> time, um, back when malls had stores in them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they got screwed because uh, in the book trade, unsold books can be sent back to the publisher mm-hmm. for uh, credit, and this was a, a law that came around came about. In the um, uh, in the '30s during the Depression, to protect uh, book publishers uh, from getting from falling out of business, but it, it, I think it's to this day it's still in existence. And so TSR got screwed because there were a, they they produced a bunch of this stuff, and then here it comes back. It to comes them. back to them, and they're yeah. expected to like give the money back, and they're like, yeah. "But we we spent it; it's all gone." Yeah. Now that is one of there are multiple factors that that ultimately cause the the the, the again downfall. we're condensing down we're right 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 it. This, this, is, this is this is the opening round and I'm already feeling like I'm super rambling like you guys can you guys can go out there and find a um, plethora of information about it out there so. but uh, so the company was in trouble and that's when uh, it was acquired by Wizards of the Coast knock mm-hmm. knock it's Wizards of the Coast right uh, now <laughs> uh, at the time this was seen at like. This was the tabletop equivalent of Disney buying Star Wars. Okay. People were, their minds were blown. Uh, some people were super excited. Some people were scared out of their gourd um, because they were afraid that it's going to get ruined. It was going to get ruined. It was going to get turned into uh, Magic: The Gathering, sure, uh, sure. You know, D&D version, um, and. For your for our younger listeners, it's like if uh, your favorite title got bought by EA mm-hmm. and they micro tra- micro transactioned everything. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. right. You were right, worried right. about that. So right. Well, they they were afraid that you were gonna that you would have like already at that time. Um, a lot of games were running on um, w- what's called the supplemental model, where mm-hmm. 
you buy the main book and then you buy and then they it's kind of assumed that you're going to buy all of the additional books to kind of keep up with it mm-hmm. where like oh we're going to do a book on fighters or we're going to do a book, book on magic users or we're going to do a book on um uh clerics and we're going to do a book on and 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 basically that 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 line of supplements that treadmill keeps the money coming mm-hmm. um until core book sales drop and then that's when the new edition comes out Mm. Um, and so that was already happening and people were afraid that wizards was going to make it worse. You know, I, uh, I mean, I don't necessarily know how I like, I'm, I'm sure cause th- this was also in the early days of, of internet fora and like, it was a lot of like, Oh, well they're, they're going to charge you like per character or like, you know, we, that weird conspiracy stuff that I'm sure <laughs> that if I wandered into, uh, a, a a subreddit. They're nano machines in the dice. Right, you're, right, you're right. You have to pay microtransactions. Uh, you have to buy critical successes. Like, <laughs> um, I'm sure if I, re- I wandered into a, a a subreddit, I'm sure I would see a lot of parallel arguments yeah. for for EA stuff. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, like, oh yeah, but, yeah. I thought uh, I saw crazy people talking about that 30 years ago, guys. Yeah. Um, wizards. Uh, uh, created what, uh, the third edition of D&D, and one of the things that it did was create what's called the OGL, or the Open Gaming License, where um, it uh, the short, easy version is you could create content for D&D so long as you uh, included a, 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 a license page in your book and, and referred the player or the purchaser back to your... or to the third edition books to, like... Because basically... We want you to go and buy the player's handbook, but not have you uh, include character creation stuff in your book because mm. we still want mm-hmm. people to go back and buy our stuff. Right. But as long as you do that, it's okay. And this caused an explosion of material uh, that was great for a while and then was terrible. I mean, imagine it, it's it. it, it, it it, it, it was really a, a, a kind of paper and pencil version of like the app store. There's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of interesting stuff, but then there's also a there's lot. There's an ocean, a mountain of garbage. Just like, what a, is this? A mountain, an ocean of crap yeah. that you have to kind of paw through to, you know, find the, 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 the nuggets. And, and there were also games that um, really pushed that, uh, that OGL uh, to its limit um, and eventually evolved into their own thing. Um, uh, my favorite example of that is a game by uh, Green Ronin called Mutants and Masterminds, which is an excellent superhero role-playing game. Um, the first, uh, the first version was very tightly bound to the OGL, where they wanted you to go and get the the player's handbook. Um, the second edition kind of stepped away from that a little, or a little more because. At that time, there was more of a comfort zone of games not necessarily being connected to the D20 license, but still using that style of play where mm-hmm. you have levels and roll a D20 and add a thing and try to beat a, a number. Um, and then the most recent edition really kind of evolved into its own thing and, and pulled out a lot of elements that connected it to uh, D&D. Um, really, the, the, the big innovation with Mutants and Masterminds was rather than level progression being I start at level one and I'm a, and I'm a a kitten and I eventually survive. And at level 20, I am awesome. Uh, It used the level system as a way to kind of gauge powers. So like, 
okay, you want to play like a, a a Punisher? That's like a level six guy. You want to play Spider-Man? That's like a level 10. You want to play a Wonder Woman? That's like a level 14. You want to play a Dark Seed? That's like a level 18. Mm-hmm. And that gave you a bunch of points to use to, to make your characters. And, that, and um, the OGL really kind of speared or uh, spurred innovation like that in addition to the ocean of crap that you kind of had to wade through and mm-hmm. like, you know, misspelled things and porn tracing covers and all nice. sorts of terrible, <laughs> very good stuff. Um, so uh, Wizards was then acquired by Hasbro. Um, which is another akin, step which up. Which is akin to EA being bought by Disney. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The <laughs> translations are uh, perfect. <laughs> um, and I've heard those rumors. So, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so, um, and, because, and Hasbro, for many years, really didn't care a lot about D&D because magic was and continues to be the like financial workhorse like mm-hmm. whatever money that Dungeons and Dragons makes for Hasbro of the Coast is a spot on a grain of sand on the back of the has of the Magic the Gathering turtle on the beach cuz it I mean that that game still makes a ton of money I mean yeah. um so it kind of looked at D&D almost like the like sort of you know, oh, I get this free can koozie with this other thing. Great. What do we do with this? Um, and they eventually uh, released a fourth edition, um, which is a controversial edition uh, for a variety of reasons. One is that it really focused on tabletop miniature battles um, to the point where some people felt that there was that the role playing like character element mm-hmm. was really reduced. Uh, a lot of the tabletop mechanics felt very similar to the types of things you would see in World of Warcraft, which was still blisteringly popular at the time. Um, and so uh, a lot of longtime fans felt like, well, I already play WoW. Why would I buy this if this is, a, you know, I, I play D&D to play D&D. I don't play D&D to play WoW. Um, and uh, it also, um, it, it, it also was the first time that D&D ended up competing against itself because when 4th edition was announced, there, there was a, a, a group of very talented uh, writers and creators uh, that formed their own company called Paizo, um, and they opted to continue to produce things for the previous edition um, under the OGL, and uh, to the point where they released their own version of the previous edition rules under the OGL, under the name of Pathfinder. Mm. Okay. And (laughs) that's where that came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. (laughs) And Pathfinder continued to stay very, very popular for many, many, many years. Um, And a lot of it was because people felt like, oh, I don't have to buy new books. Uh, like the, the 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 challenge with new editions is that inevitably you're kind of gambling. We're going to get more new people off of this new edition than we lose who are like, but I like my old thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it up. Um, and Pathfinder for many many years that gamble paid off brilliantly because they had all the materials that you could that that they had from. Uh, that edition of D and D, plus the materials that they produced, which were all, which, for the most part, are, were fantastic and very high quality, 
and they also had a really good grasp on how to sell their product to their core fans. Like uh, Pathfinder uh, has a subscription service where you don't even have to go to the uh, the friendly local game store or go on Amazon. You basically sign up, and they will send you all the pieces of their latest adventure path direct to your door, and you don't have to worry about it. And it, it's brilliant because it makes it really easy for you to stay. It makes it easy for you to stay on top of all the books they put out, and it makes it easy for them to get your money because you're just saying here. You're literally saying, shut up and take my money. <laughs> um, so when 5th edition uh, was first bandied around, um, again, controversy, because fourth ed- it, it, the 4th edition kind of had its, is the shortest out of all of the versions of D&D that, that kind of had its reign on top. Um, but when 5th edition came out, uh, it very quickly positions itself on the opposite side of Pathfinder um, by keeping the book count low and making it very easy to get into it. Um, you, it had the three main books, which, which traditionally are the Player's Handbook, the Monster Manual, and the Dungeon Master's Guide, and that was it. Like Normally when, it, when a new edition of D&D came out, they would start re-releasing all the, all the, you know, all the old stuff, like here's your fighter book, here's your wizard book, here's your... Greyhawk book, here's your Forgotten Realms book, and they really clamped down on all of that because I think they realized that that is how they were going to revitalize D&D by being able to go, hey, you want to play Pathfinder, that's great, you're going to have to buy a stack of books that Mm. is like two feet high um, to have all your options ready, but if you play this edition of D&D, you buy the Player's Handbook and that is it. Um, and they have slowly released content, like one or two books a year. Um, and I think that is a big part of why Dungeons & Dragons has become revitalized, because that low, ent- that low barrier to entry has been super useful. Like uh, People have loved it because you can buy a player's handbook for you know, your friend or your, your kid brother or your... Uh, your favorite, you know, cousin who has said that she really wants to play D and D, and you don't have to worry about explaining it to them and and figuring it out. Um, the game is also very fairly streamlined for a D and D version, and that really attacks one of the major difficulties of playing tabletop games, which is you sit down with your friends at a table and you tell them this, you know, we're going to play this awesome game where you're going to get to cast spells and fight dragons and, uh, you know, jump through traps, and, and, and it's going to be awesome. You guys ready to play? Yeah! All right, now let's fill out this paperwork for three hours as we make <laughs> yeah. our character. Yeah. Um, and uh, fifth edition uh, keeps that to a minimum, and uh, they, they, it's done a really good job of, of letting people make meaningful choices at the beginning of the process, but then also kind of threading choices into the uh, into play so that as you level up, you're still kind of building pieces of your character. So it, it, it's kind of like um, uh, in a video game, you've kind of like the level one and level two in fifth edition D&D is more like a, a tutorial, tutorial. Level, okay. where yeah. you're like, oh, I hit X to do this. And then finally at the end of the tutorial, that's when... Uh, like a third edition, or I'm sorry, third edition, third level, you make, you kind of lock in that choice. Like, it, it, yeah. it, 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 it's kind of like in, um, 
Like, it's like playing the prologue, and then at the end of the prologue, the game says, okay, do you want to play the straight-up shooty guy? Do you want to play the stealthy yeah, sure. uh, lady? Do you want to play the, the psychic person? And you, because you've been playing for a session or two, uh, new players kind of, you know, they feel that out and go, well, you know what? I, I really do want to do a little bit of magic stuff, so I'm going to pick this thing. Mm-hmm. Um or uh, or I really just want to be a easy to play smash him in the face kind of fighter, so I want to play this thing. And um, you know, once once you lock those choices in, there you still get meaningful stuff at the end. But um, it it really eases new players into the experience because mm-hmm. they uh, they don't have to make heavy choices until they've already played for a couple of sessions and are like without oh, knowing at all. Yeah, yeah sure. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then that's where we are today. Um, where and that's the history of tabletop. Thank yeah, you so that, much for it. joining us. All right, cool. <laughs> See you guys. I feel like I've been talking no, for three no, hours. No, um, no, 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 no. Yeah, that, that uh, is again the, probably the best. I, I, I knew this, again, <laughs> this is the, the best history we've gotten on anything so far. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, well, and that's just D and D. There's a whole cloud of other stuff that that yeah. surrounds us, surrounds it too. That um, I recommend checking out, like. Uh, the influence that the Star Wars RPG had on the canon of Star Wars mm. and the cre- how Battletech was responsible mm, for the mm-hmm. creation of the Xbox and you know stories all, all the all these other great stories that if you dig around you can find like, yes please so, guys check it out it's 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 great it, it's a lot again of we could stuff. spend like an all day talking about uh, tabletop RPGs and like literally just scratch the surface mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. so. Um, let's go into some personal stuff, okay. right? Um, blood type, uh, social security number, whatever. <laughs> oh, no, well, no, 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 no. Well, this is that kind uh, of podcast. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, uh, no. Well, this is vastly uh, different than I expected. What was the, what was, uh, your introduction to tabletop RPGs? So, um, when I was 10 years old, uh, I bought a game, uh, called the Star Trek Tactical, uh, Starfleet Combat Simulator. And it was uh, a game, uh, a licensed game from FASA that where you and your friends played as uh, crew members on various Star Trek Starfleet ships. And you had all these like little cardboard hex pieces where, you know, you move the, the ships around mm-hmm. and then you had these little like, um, excuse me, paper, uh, like, um, Consoles like they were supposed yeah. to be like the hull console or the the, the science console or whatever, and you move these little chits to represent like oh I fired phasers I did a thing, and I went into uh, my friend's basement like you do, uh, and they were super into the actual um, you know moving hexes and modulating power. I was way more concerned with whenever our ship took a hit of throwing myself onto the couch. Uh, nice. Star Trek style, uh, because that's <laughs> what that's what Star Trek was to me, um, and so that was the first like non uh, traditional tabletop game that I that I bought and played. Uh, the first RPG that I ever bought uh, was a game called Top Secret SI. Really, uh, and yeah, I. I am I am unusual in that my first experience with with tabletop RPGs was not Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons 
until years after I got into the hobby. And even then, I didn't really play like a dedicated campaign of it until like maybe 10 years into being to 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 being a, a tabletop gamer. And a lot of that was, I think, because so many people had played a lot of D&D. They were sick of it by the time I got around to them. And they were like, we're playing everything else. And I was like, okay. Um, but Top Secret SI was a James Bond... Um, style espionage RPG. Okay. So it had like gadgets and like, you know, exotic locations and cars with machine guns. And of course everything that a 10 year old boy really likes about James Bond. <laughs> um, so I, I fiddled with that for a long time. And then uh, the first RPG that I ever played was a game called Shadowrun. Uh, and Shadowrun Ooh. is a, is a genre mashup before the idea the, before there was a term for it of a dystopian Blade Runnery type future nice. and fantasy elements. So, uh, it, it, so not only did you have your jacked in uh, cyber hackers, you know, running the Neon Matrix, but you also had dragons who were CEOs of shadowy corporations cutting cool. deals. Like it is a game with a killer pitch, and you know, especially for a twelve year old kid. Wait, I get to fight dragons using machine guns? Yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and that was the first game that I really like dug into and fell in love with and, and played a, a ton of when I was a kid. Wow, that's really cool. And like, oh, I mean, I, I, like for me, right, I'm currently playing in a campaign right now uh, as a player, and it, it's, it's, actually, it's going very well, right? Um, my introduction to what tabletop RPG uh, G's were um, was back when I was a wee little lad um, traveling around my local bookstore and I came across a book. I don't remember the edition. I just remember this had some cool pictures. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what is this? Right? And like it had all these like weird like it was almost like I was reading something from like an alien planet. I was like, "What's all this scripture here?" You know, <laughs> uh, you know, but all, all all these stats and all these things and all these kick-ass pictures. And I was like, "What is what is this? What what could this be?" And it was in the the game section. And then you know, me being like from my family, they were like, "Hey, you're in a bookstore. Go to the smart book section, and not the not the not the game section." <laughs> I was like, "No, I, I want to be in the game section." <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, I could be smart and engaged. Yeah, up. yeah. So introduced that way. Uh, eventually, found my way into a kind of uh, uh, a bookstore. It was like a, a secondhand bookstore, right? And Walking through as you do, and then I came across what I believe was a starter kit for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Right? It was it was very basic, right? Um, but it had like all these cool cardboard pieces in it. It had the whole it had the booklet. It, 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 I I have well, it okay. So here. we're gonna we're gonna delve into here. Was it what color was the box? It was orangish. Orangish. Okay. And it was very it was a very thin like. Like box too. It was orangish. I believe it was like the adventure begins or something. I forgot what it is. Okay. You okay. know, um, it was almost like an orangish brick looking color. I, okay. I think I have it here. I'll show it to you later. But, okay. Um, introduced to that and it had just like everything you needed to play the game. And I was like, oh, I want to find something to play it. No one wanted to play it. No. Yeah. No, no, no one wanted to play it. I forced some people to play it here and there. Uh, I tried, you know, but I, yeah, it's not on display over here. <laughs> but 
from there, I always had like this interest in this like I I really want to play that game, mm-hmm. but no one plays it that I know, right? And eventually, uh, I did try to run uh, uh, DM as they would call it, uh, in uh, the kids might call it these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I tried to run it. And uh, as I found out with D and D campaigns, uh, it usually falls through because of scheduling. Um, so it's it's very difficult. Logistics are like nine tenths of 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 what makes D and D hard to do because you either have to have a dedicated group that can that can play, you know, when you want to play, or you need to be able to be good at improvising. Like oh. So and so and so and so aren't going to be there this week, so uh, their characters are at the airport. Yeah, picking somebody up. They fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, they fell asleep. Uh, they're not here. Whatever. I don't know. You know, and then yeah. and then they get angry when they're like, "What do you mean we fell asleep?" We, yeah, I do have an, I have an amusing story about that happening, which I can tell later. But yeah, we'll we'll talk. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. So and, and which all leads to present day, where like now I found the group. I, f- I found my group, guys. <laughs> and uh, we've been playing for a, on a weekly basis for a few months, and I've been a player character, and it's been awesome so far. Well, and we talked a little bit about this before we started taping, where um, finding a group is, is in many ways similar to getting a band together. Because like, uh, a lot of the folks that I talk to who um, have... Who, who don't who either played once or whatever they tell me about their bad experiences about like yeah the the the, the guys are always creepy and they always hit on me or you know this one person like would only respond to any question in their character name even if it was like you know Thogdor the barbarian the pizza's here can you go get it please um and uh so by with those negative uh, with those negative experiences, I think a lot of people you know played once and they and they didn't get hooked like you did, where you were like, no, I really want to do this, and they just kind of walked away from it. But now that uh, it's resurging in popularity, more and more people are kind of like, you know, give it another chance. I mean, you know, whatever. And and I also see a lot of of groups that uh, talk about how they have that one player that annoys everybody, and it's kind of like. <laughs> So why are you playing with them? Like if you're if you're if they are if they are making you you not have fun, why are you still there? Like yeah. you know, it, 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 a lot of these problems would be solved if people actually sat down and talked about their playtime seriously. Yeah. But they don't, and that then causes more problems yeah. because you know they can't actually just like be like, okay, guys. We have to talk about this, yeah. and and you know that it it uh, makes it much more challenging to have a satisfying experience because you don't want to talk about your fun time as like a serious thing. Yeah, I've I've been actually pretty proud of my group that we like something bugging us or if something's not not right in the in with the how we're playing it. Like usually we're, we're pretty vocal about it, but mm-hmm. also just. We usually have fun. There's, there's, there hasn't really been any issues or anything like that. And we, and if we usually we end off the campaign was like, hey, what did everybody like? What everybody didn't? What did everybody and that's not great. like? And it's like all feedback that can make the the experience better. You know, that's great. Um, Joel, how you doing? Trying to think. You awake? About, yeah. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think about uh, my experience with this because uh, I, I, we made note of this that before the show. I really have not delve into this world um that much but i'll say this which is ironic 
while listening, it reminded me that uh, years and years and years ago, I had a comic book store that um, I would frequent all the time, and they had all the metal figurines from Battletech mm-hmm. and a couple other ones too that I can't think of what it would have been something with a dinosaur because I love dinosaurs. And I remember buying this T-Rex, and I didn't even have the game, and I was just like, I'm going to paint this thing. It's freaking sweet. <laughs> yeah, no. it's, that, that, is, that is a common vector as well. I think, um, like, uh, there, there's a, uh, speaking of Battletech, there is a computer version of Battletech that's coming out at the end of April that um, has got me really excited because... Finally, I want. I, I I played a lot. I played a decent amount of BattleTech as 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 a kid, but I got bored with it because it was all like, you know, okay, I shoot my, I have my cool giant walking tank. I shoot the missiles at you, and now we take ten minutes while I add up all the modifiers and figure out yeah. did I hit you, did I not hit you? But if there's a computer that does all that stuff for me instantly, I do <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, part of that neat experience were those metal figures and, and actually having the little toy stomping across the, the thing. So, uh, like, um, I'm, I'm actually not a, a very good miniatures painter, so I unfortunately am not as much of an expert on that area, but it, I know a lot of people who do some gorgeous work that, like, I'm totally envious of. Um, well, Battletech is, a, is, a, is another great way to get hooked into to, to games as well, too. Well, and I, I grew up with uh, MechWarrior, so when I saw those, I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was familiar with these things, but I never, I never had friends that were actually into it. I literally, I don't think I had anybody growing up that I knew that played any of those. Uh, eventually we had people playing magic, like you were saying before, cause that just dominated everywhere. But, um, uh, in terms of D and D, I only had one friend when I first went to college that was uh, into it, and I tried to participate in it. And then the scheduling conflict thing happened where I, you know, we were like, I were getting stuck with homework and stuff, and we can't continue this. So it just uh, kind of fell off. Um, but uh, I think the what you were saying about um, the getting the how much effort it takes to get going in some of these games that is kind of a, a barrier. F- what it was for me, um, it's not that I wouldn't have wanted to, but I really wish that I I would have known the differences in the. Um, the editions, because like you're saying with the fifth edition, that seems more appealing to me to want to just get going with it and then try it. Um, it's not that I wouldn't want to develop all that earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. I never got the chance to. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, and, and that is actually one of uh, the the big differences that I see uh, in what, uh, what I would call a traditional RPG versus an indie RPG. Um, indie RPGs uh, have come to the forefront in the past uh, 15 years or so, and... Um, one of the things that they've that, that that they've really tried to push is to cut out as much of that sort of ramp up as much as possible. Like they they want to get to the good stuff right away. Um, whereas D and D, you kind of uh, traditionally and and a lot of the games that followed it have followed the same model of you start out as this kind of you know dinky character and eventually you level up into something cool and eventually you level into something powerful. And indie games want to throw you into the story as quickly as possible. And, and they, they, like, they want that Star Wars opening where, you know, the, <laughs> the, ship. the ship is coming yeah. in and, and being chased by the Imperials yeah. and, and you are there. Um, and uh, they also tend to have a finite amount of, of, of games. So you're not, like, 
another barrier in addition to the startup is I think some people get scared off by the fact that like people talk about, Oh, I've been playing this D and D character for 25 years. And like, that's scary to me. Um, (laughs) But, but you know, and, and, but there's a reason that people get into it because you're, it's, it's such a personal experience. Um, But that also kind of scares people off. It's, you know, it's, it's the nerd equivalent of like going on a first date and having the other person be like, uh, so have you ever thought about, uh, you know, what, maybe getting married someday? Like, just, yeah, just like curious. Just, I, I mean, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Like they're, they're just so much further along right. with knowledge or development of characters and whereas, like whereas indie games, a lot of them are designed to be either, uh, one-offs or like short, like, you know, six to eight session campaigns. And those, and those are also by having shorter lengths are kind of designed to, to, attack that logistics question of, oh, well, I played for like four sessions and then, uh, you know, homework and life interfered and I couldn't do anything. Like if, you, if you're playing a game like that and it just sort of fades away, it's unsatisfying. Whereas if you play a short campaign of like six to eight games, mm-hmm. if there's a, a tangible ending to it, you feel like, oh, okay, that was fun. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my character did this, did this, did this. And then it ended like a book. And like, if, if I really enjoyed it, maybe we'll set up another one down the thing. But sure. if nothing, if my dungeon master moves away, fine. You know, I had a, I had a beginning, a middle and an end as opposed to a experience that sort of faded off into nothingness. Mm-hmm. Let me see. That's yeah. Thinking back now too on my past experience. And I was trying to, I was like, uh, while everyone was talking, I was trying to figure it out. So I, I got it. All right. One of the things that also really drew me in, I used to watch this, this cartoon on TV. It, it was called uh, Recess. I don't know if everybody's, everybody's here watched it before, but it's about these group of kids that, you know, they all they care about is recess and they, they have adventures and things like that. One 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 of the episodes was uh, the main one of the main characters uh, broke his collarbone uh, during a sports game, whatever, and uh, he couldn't go outside for recess, so he had to stay inside. And he discovered that there was this group of kids, uh, they call it the Pale Kids, who <laughs> stayed inside and didn't want to go outside, right? And uh, I, I, I was one of those Yes. <laughs> and in the episode, like, he, he uh, eventually was like, oh, you know, it's not, like, really friendly with them. But then eventually they share kind of, like, this nerdy bond. And in the, in the, in the sh- episode, they, at one point, were playing some sort of miniature game that looked like D and D, you know, it was, I mean, obviously they couldn't say that, but I mean, like it, it was like, yeah, that was D and D. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that's another thing right there. I, I want to play that game, whatever they were playing, you know? And, uh, this leads to present day and present day is now a world with fifth edition D and D rules where everything's streamlined and people can hop in with, if you're just going to be a player, you can hop in with just the player's manual. If you can find someone who knows how to run uh, a campaign, like, like, you do, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you run multiple uh, different uh, things that uh, cause you to run different campaigns, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, not only are you a campaign uh, DM for hire, I don't know. That's, that's a cool name. <laughs> uh, you, I believe the term you were looking for is Dungeon Master On Demand. There you go. Uh, uh-huh. If you uh, Facebook uh, search that, you can find my uh, professional uh, D&D services. I'm, I'm happy to run... Uh, any game that I've worked on, but I'm also happy to run the D&D 5th edition just because that's, it's such the industry standard that so many people have D&D as their first experience mm-hmm. that it makes sense to, to run that. And, and I enjoy it, and I even do it um, uh, in a, 
one of the things that I'm in the middle of right now is finishing up a campaign where I'm running it for a bunch of kids at um, uh, Bounce Milwaukee. Mm, cool. um, and it, it's been a really eye-opening experience of running D&D for kids that were my age when I started uh, versus like my friends or like other people. Do you see the light come on in their eyes? Kind it, of thing? You, you, it, it's, you do, you do kind of see that, but they also do stuff that surprises the heck out of me too. Like, um, so now, now I have to tell my, my kids story cause, uh, this is actually one of my favorite D and D stories to tell. Yay. So, uh, so, um, uh, the first time that we, we sat down to play with, uh, these kids, uh, we're, we're running them through the the D&D starter kit, um, which is an excellent introductory product. Um, and uh, But, of course, me being a game designer, I felt like I had to modify it because that's what I do. Because um, So uh, the, the opening, f- the kind of tutorial fight is this very basic, like, goblins jump out at you from the woods and shoot you know, bows and arrows at you. And that's okay, but... I wanted something a little different. So I, I, instead I, I, I borrowed a, a piece from a, another campaign and uh, the kids came, were hired to transport this stuff from a big city to a small town. And they were also hired to look after um, a dwarf uh, who had kind of basically been sent forward to like set up things in the small town. And of course he went missing. So they're, they're, uh, so they come across his wagon, which has been flipped and converted into a tiny goblin fort uh, uh, by the goblins who, who <clears> conquered <throat> the wagon. Nice. And on top of the uh, top of the the um, uh, the wagon is is a goblin sentry. And like, okay, this is where you learn. Like, I'm gonna sneak up and you know conk him on the head, or I'm gonna you know bow and arrow him from far away. Um, the kids try diplomacy. And, uh, you know, does anybody here speak goblin? You speak goblin. Okay. Translate what I'm going to say. And <laughs> wow. And <laughs> they're, uh, so they, the, the, the one kid walks out and, you know, the, the sentry challenges him and they have a conversation and, uh, they find out that the sentry is, you know, like, of course they put like the, the rookie goblin as the, the, the sentry yeah, yeah. Okay. and pyre. Right. So they're like, well, you know, why do you, you know, why are you with these guys? You know, what, what's your deal? And the goblin's like, well, I haven't, I haven't become part of the tribe yet because I haven't killed my first tall one yet. And you're going to be it. And, you know, he's, he's full of bluster like that, you know, rookie cop bluster. Um, (laughs) And the, you know, the kids are like, well, you don't have to kill anybody to be part of a, a group. Like, you know, that we think that's kind of messed up. Like, why do you, why do you want to join these people if that's how they, <laughs> they get you into this group? This and I'm awesome. like, all right, you've made your argument. Uh, uh, give me a, um, a persuade roll, which is a skill roll in, in, in Dungeons and Dragons. And the kid rolls a natural 20 on nice. the 20-sided dice. And that's, that's like, usually when you roll a natural 20, that's like, you do the thing and you get something else cool because it's like a critical success. Critical success. It's the best thing you can roll. So the goblin sits down and starts thinking about his life. Like, you're right. I I don't need to kill people to like, like maybe I don't want to be part of this tribe if that's what they expect out of me. You know, thanks. You, you've really uh, let, given me a, a great, a different perspective on these things and shunk one of the other goblins in the, uh, in the fort comes up behind that goblin, stabs him in the back and says, you are unworthy of being of our tribe. And kicks him off the top of the, of the, the, the wagon and the, you know, the battle throws down. 
Okay. The kids rally to protect their new goblin buddy. They're like, we have to save the cool goblin. <laughs> and they... Now, D&D is, is often a game of resource management, and you, and you need to figure out, like, okay, who do I use my healing spells on? Who do I, you know, what do I use my defense on? And they ran uh, around and protected their new goblin buddy from the attacking goblins that were hopping wow. off of the, the wagon. Um, and it was just amazing to, to watch these, these kids, you know, because a lot of times... W- a lot of times when people make D&D characters, they make these amoral mercenaries who are like, eh, am I getting paid? I don't care. Like, you know, well, uh, there, 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 there is often a conflict between uh, players in a group who want to play, uh, uh, you know, like Frodo or like Legolas versus those who want to play like Jane. Um, and these kids were, were, had their hearts on their sleeves or protecting their goblin buddy. And they won the, the they, they won the battle Um they they you know helped their buddy up. They they healed him up with their own resources, um, and you know the goblin was like, "Well, I, I don't know I don't know what I'm going to do." And they were like, "Well, you you can you can come with us. You can you can be part of our group." And the goblin is like, "What is this?" But I but I I I, I guess I could, but I do not have a name. And and they're like, "Well." You don't need a name, cool goblin. You can just hang out with us, and eventually you'll figure out your name. And the goblin is like, what is this word you keep using in front of my name? Cool? That will be my name. I will be cool the goblin. <laughs> and that's why you play these games, because I never expected them to have a goblin sidekick in this game, but he has now become a central part of the story, and also a great vessel for if uh, adults want to play D&D with their kids, they, they come in, here's your cool the goblin character sheet, you get to cause trouble and, and be a kid for like two hours. That's awesome. And it, it was just an amazing experience because uh, it, it really summarized one of the great things about D&D is that emerging story that, you, that, you know, that the players have one idea of what of the story they want to tell and the, the dungeon master has an idea of the story that they want to tell. And the real story of any good tabletop RPG is sort of the actual story that emerges that sort of is between the two. Yeah. And that was a, a great example of one. How cool. It's awesome. Like uh, for you, I mean, because you are, uh, you know, you've created many uh, campaigns. Uh, what is your approach to creating a campaign for especially a group that, you know, of, like, again, this, these children that, like, may have never even played? Well, um, sometimes you... Sometimes you have something in mind that you want to do, and then you kind of pick the players that you want to... that you think will fit, like you're kind of casting a play or a TV show. And sometimes um, you consume media that you're like, oh man, I really want to do a game like this. And then you kind of figure out what uh, game is the best fit for it. Um, Like I'm a proponent of the idea that systems matter and that um, you want to have a system that helps to back up the, the sort of fictional ideas that are, are in a thing. Cause like, you know, not every, it's the difference between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Like, you know, Lord of the Rings is fairly heroic and there's a lot of cool magic Game of Thrones 
people get shanked in the back all the time. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. betrayal, betrayal. betrayal. <laughs> and you want a system that that supports that play style. Um, so it's going to be different than like D and D, which is much more of a heroic fantasy mm. type thing. Mm. Um, and so sometimes that's uh, sometimes it's you, if it's a if it's a licensed game, I tend to sort of delve into the 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 thing that it's licensed off of. Like I recently ran a a, um, a Star Trek Adventures campaign, and I kind of rewatched a bunch of the movies and and some of my favorite Next Generation episodes. Um, and and that was actually a little scary because there were people in that group who were much more versed in the trivia of Star Trek than I was. Like I, I, I discovered that I knew more than I thought I did, but it was kind of intimidating to, because I was afraid there was going to be a lot of, well, you know, in episode 402. This yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, um, and, th- and there wasn't a lot of that and that, that made that game more fun. But I think that was because in watching in consuming the media, I realized that the that the core of a good Star Trek experience is that sort of moral question that is at the heart of every episode. That you have to de- that that the the uh, that all the characters have to deal with. And if that moral question is strong, then everything else is you know cool and fun. But you know you're you're you're, you're trying to get your players to wrestle with that stuff and. Um, the sessions that I ran that had a really strong moral question were the ones that felt the most like a Star Trek episode because, like, you know, we'd take a break and I'd, like, go to the bathroom and, like, I'd come back and overhear my players being like, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> I hate him. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, I love him. Um, and <laughs> um, whereas something that, that that's, that's a, a original, sometimes you kind of want to mix in media that you consume to sort of create a new thing. Um, like there's, uh, um, and, uh, so, so that's how I kind of prep for it. But I also, it's also a challenge to prep because you don't want to write everything right away because you never know when your players are going to come up with a a hook or an idea that's Mm -hmm. like, way better than anything you came up with and you're just going to quietly pretend that that was your idea from the beginning and go, yes, of course. Well, you mean you were, I was already going to have this in there and I just put the name that you gave me on it. Yeah. And you look around shady. <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's why I think it's also important when you're, when you're um, sitting down to do a, a campaign, you should be actively engaged with each other. Sometimes when, when people make, uh, D characters and sit down. It's like the players are all filling out their, their paperwork in their corner. The, the DM is sort of sitting there bored or like maybe doing campaign notes and you really should be actively engaging each other with questions about the world. And, and, um, this was, this was, this is a process that I, I learned from a, a game called dungeon world, which is a, uh, powered by the apocalypse sort of emulation of D and D. Um, and even if you're not interested in playing not in playing a non D and D game for that experience, I recommend if you're a fan of Dungeons and Dragons to pick up the book anyway because it is also a great manual of best practices for for being a dungeon master mm-hmm. because it it um, it really focuses uh, on the craft of running a game and running a campaign and and 
Dungeon Master Vice often doesn't do that. I think it, it tends to be more big picture, and Dungeon World is very good at episodic, like, let's focus on these scenes and what's important in, in, in these elements. And one of the things that, that I took from it right away was, you know, you're supposed to ask questions of your players as they're filling stuff out. So it's like, okay, you took... Um, okay, Thief, you took uh, two daggers as your, your, your starting weapon. You know, who is the first person you killed with one of those daggers? And, you know, and that lets them fill in the world a little bit. Because yeah. really what you want to do is the, the, the traditional expectation is that the DM does all the work and the players kind of pick their way in and unlock all of the, the pieces of the world that the DM has set up. And, and, and that's, again, I think from the, the Tolkien background of Dungeons and Dragons where, you know, Tolkien wrote all of this background material that, you know, eventually was used in the novels. Um, whereas I think more successful games tend to democratize that a little bit and, you know, shift it off onto the players and say, okay, uh, you know, so tell me who your, uh, you know, tell me who your best friend is in the world. And, oh, it's the shopkeeper. Okay, cool. Great. Bing. You've got an NPC now that you can use. And, yeah. and, uh, in doing so, there, it also kind of establishes this element of trust between the two players because uh, um, a, there are many D&D groups that, that run in a more adversarial style where it's like, oh, the players uh, are trying to screw up the DM's plans, the DM's trying to kill the players, and that's never been a style that I've been a fan of. No. But it's, it's out there. Um, whereas uh, Dungeon T World... TPKs are out there. Total, right. total well, party kills are TPKs out there. TPKs still happen even in, in those situations. <laughs> yes. um, but um, in with with Dungeon World, for example, they talk about being a fan of the players, and that's, that's what you should be. You should be letting your players be awesome, but also, you know, you don't want... You don't want to watch a movie where the hero never gets beaten up or, you know, coasts through everything and... You know, you want to watch a movie where John McClane gets his butt kicked for two hours and then shoots the last bad guy with his last two bullets. And that's what being a fan of the players is. Um, and uh, th those, th that's really what's a, a great way to set up a, a campaign is having an interaction between both sides because that's how you start building towards that that tale that, that both of you are telling. And that that's also allows you to if a you know um if a player proposes a character that isn't a fit for the game to be able to say hey look i don't like i'm trying to run this style of game here that's a great character but it's probably not for, good for this style like you know mm -hmm. if you don't want if you're doing a gritty superhero game you don't want a like you know uh, a green lantern type character or uh maybe you and the players sit down and have that discussion and figure out like, Oh, okay. How do we do this in this setting? Cause a lot of times what, ha what, what I've seen in, in, in prop it, with session people that have problem groups is a player brings a character that's legal under the rules, but not a fit for the setting or the game. But the uh, dungeon master doesn't have the, confidence or the desire to like say that's not really the, what we want here and because they're going to hurt feelings or whatever yeah. and the more that you communicate up front the less likely it is those pieces are going to happen um 
you know, as you get into the game and go, uh, no, this isn't, this isn't working. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One of, I mean, one of the things I really love about like, especially fifth edition and, and D and D in general is like, it's the, like you said, it's like this community storytelling is what it is. Right. And like some of the best campaigns can be built off of that. You know, I mean, yeah, if you wanted something that's built off of, strategy and miniatures like th- there are games like that out there but like the thing that really interests me is the amalgamation of like what a dm can put into the world and what the people who or the players who interact with it can have it grow into you know and mm-hmm. uh like uh, for me like like you said it's like you, you don't want to overwrite everything you're not writing a novel you're writing scenarios or or uh, an outline of a story like when i when i talk about like uh if i've ever done when i did my uh campaign and how i wrote it the thing was is that i actually didn't write everything i wrote basically a skeleton of what it could be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and let them fill in the meat mm-hmm. you know and that 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 amalgamation of that like that's what's wonderful about tabletop role playing games and say what you will about like uh people out there who are fans of like video games and things like that while all great in their own rights you don't have that super community like you do with like tabletop Mm -hmm. you know um when you're online and you're playing a a match of i don't know what's popular right now fortnite you're playing a fortnite and a six-year-old kid like swears to your mother you know whatever Mm -hmm. and it's like oh cool i got killed by that thing cool but like when you're sitting down wherever you're sitting uh, in a table or whatever in your basement and you're with people who you've chosen as your group and uh, are playing through a story and working together in the story um, along with someone who is filling out this world, you know, the DM, um, it's it's something special, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that's what's really great about it. And I think I, I love how now it's not just, oh, it's for, like, weird people who don't like, you know, who who aren't very sociable and who aren't this. Actually, tabletop has to make you sociable. You, you're it, supposed it, uh, to be it's, sociable. It's interesting that it has always had this reputation of, like, what antisocial nerds play, but it is a very social game because you're sitting in a room talking with, with your friends for hours. And yeah. whether whether that's whether that's within the game world and you're, you're describing your actions or whether you're taking ten minutes to talk about you know the the last episode of the show that you all watched together, or yeah. you know, like, or now that now that I am an old man, a lot of our gaming sessions sort of s- start with like a good half hour of, oh my god, this week I just I and everybody kind of you know sits down and 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 uh, kvetches to each other, and then it's like okay, we we've had our our, our airing of the grievances, let's go beat up some orcs and nice. feel better about ourselves. Like, right. um, Well, let's hop into a little bit of, because uh, we, we are running real long, but let, let's hop into, this is a great, like we're going to have to get you back just to, <laughs> just to fill in, just to fill in the meat more, you know, because it's all been history present. Um, let's, let's touch on a little bit about future, right? Okay. What is, what do you see for the future of, of tabletop RPGs? Streaming. Streaming. Streaming is, uh, is a, a shattering of one of the biggest gates that uh, has hobbled tabletop gaming for many years. And that is to get into it, you usually needed to ha- either you either needed to create your own group 
or you needed to know somebody who was already into it and they had to put their arm around you like an apprentice and be like, okay, let me, let me show you the ropes, kid. Um, now you can watch people streaming uh, D&D or other tabletop games and get a piece of that fun even if you're not uh, actively participating in it. Now, I, as somebody who has regular access to a variety of different players and a variety of... Excuse me, a variety of different players and a variety of different games. I do not watch a lot of streaming because I feel like it's easier for me to just pull together a group and run something because that's just easier. But there are there is evidence that there are millions of people who are having their first D and D experience watching people play or listening to people playing this game, and eventually once they've gotten hooked into that story, they look around and go, well, I, I can do this, right? Like, you know, I have friends who, who also mm-hmm. listen to this show. Why don't we get together our own group? And it has been a phenomenal element of growth for tabletop RPGs. Um, the, 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 big, the, 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 the big one is Critical Role. Um, which, which is which is one that I frequent. Like I'm I am power watching every single thing right now. And it. Uh, it 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 has a huge fan base, and it has uh, it has become it has become you know the the esports of tabletop RPGs because yeah. people love it. They throw fan art at these guys. Um, the you know this season is sponsored by Dungeons and Dragons, and they're. Um, their electronic sort of suite uh, that they're tr- that they're doing to try and modernize the experience a little bit, um, and it's also fascinating to see a company like uh, Wizards of the Coast, which is a subsidiary of a very large corporation, and Hasbro has, in the past, been pretty uh, protective of its IP and things like that, um, even though it's lost. But that's a probably for the, the second session, um, really embrace the idea of people playing D&D on Twitch and, like, on YouTube and, and all these places and not be like, you know, D&D is our property. You take that video down, young man. Like, they I, they <laughs> they must see the sales. The exposure, you, right? The exposure and the sales <laughs> and go, oh, shh, all right, cool. Let's, let's, let's do this. Um, and... Uh, and that's just going to spread out to the rest of the hobby because other companies are going to see the benefit of having their product featured on uh, on these shows. Uh, a perfect example of that is um, uh, another uh, stream or podcast that I listen to here is the Adventure Zone. Yes, <laughs> and, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, so I don't know how deep you are into the Adventure Zone. Clearly. I'm caught up. <laughs> I was going to say. Fairly deep if you're if you're fist pumping. Oh, I'm caught. Um, I'm caught up. So uh, <laughs> one of the companies that I work for uh, is the company that uh, released Monster of the Week, which oh, is yes. the game that they are using in their second season, which is amazing. And I have seen the sales spike that when the Adventure Zone did the first mini arc of it, <laughs> where it's like, oh, this game is doing okay. Oh, what is the? Oh, that's when the the first arc of Amnesty came out. Okay, all right. Yes. That, and and now that uh, it's it's going to be refeatured again. Like it, it was literally the in talking with um, the the owner of the company, it was like, yeah, we 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 were happy with the sales, and then all the books disappeared. 
Yeah. Because we needed to get we we needed to get more. I tried to find a, a book and I couldn't find one. It, well, you yeah. should look again. I think they're I think the reprint is out. But either way, Monster of the Week is a fantastic game. Yes, it was when I heard everyone when, when they went into it on the on on there and talked about it. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I like the whole like different. Uh, it wasn't the D twenty system. Mm-hmm. It was a different system, and that's where I started getting into. Oh. There's a wide range of different systems, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Monster of the Week is an example of uh, probably one of the more innovative systems of the past 10 years, which is the Powered by the Apocalypse or Apocalypse World system. Yes. Um, and uh, the real innovation of that system is that all of the rules that you need to play it are on the character sheet. Like, you don't have to look stuff up and... And what what was that? What did that spell do again? I don't know. Everything is on the character sheet, which is called a playbook usually. And um, the system is also dead simple because it's roll two d six, add a thing off of your sheet. If you get a ten or better, you get to do what you want. Uh, if you get a six or less, the GM kind of gets to do what they want. If you get a seven to nine, bad. You, little column A, little column B. You yeah. get a little bit, they get a little bit. And there are some great games that are out there that use that system. Um, one, uh, one that I've that I, that I ran to a surprise to one of the games that I, that I ran that where a surprise campaign happened, like oh. uh, where we we got together. I was like, oh, it'll be fun to play this once, and then we ended up playing it for like six or seven episodes. Uh, was an apocalypse, Paul Bray the Apocalypse game called. Uh, I'm going to get the name right. Uh, Worldwide Wrestling. Oh, my God. Where you, you piqued my interest, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you had my interest. Now you have my attention. Yes. Uh, where, you, where you play uh, performers in a professional wrestling setting. My and, God. And it, it reflects both the backstage realities and the performance aspect. Because the way that the, way that the, the matches are set up, it's not about... Oh, I hit this guy with a with a you know uh, a moon salt for ten points of damage or whatever. It's how does the audience react to your fight? Do they pop at your big moves? Do are they booing you? Not are you getting X heat because they're booing you because they don't like you, not because you're a bad guy? Um, you know, the, and and some characters have specific moves that are focused on like backstage manipulation wow. and um, and. We played it. Uh, we played it with a group uh, where half of the the group was uh, RPG people who didn't really know anything about wrestling, and the other half of the group was wrestling people who didn't really know uh, that much about RPGs. And the two of them just came together, and it 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 clicked, and it blew up. Like, <laughs> uh, and 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 part of it was also cheap theatrics. Like, you know, I had everybody choose their entrance theme, and. Uh, you know, people pick their interest theme based on their characters, and there are some themes to this day for uh, like there uh, the uh, the the one of the main NPCs of that campaign was C- uh, Cassandra Kane, who had a kind of vampire gimmick, but she was also the daughter of the owner of the of the the Fed, and so she also was sort of a Triple H kind of backstage manipulator uh. and. Uh, her entrance theme was um, "Call Me When You're Sober" from Evanescence, and I wow. ruined that song for that that group of people because <laughs> every time they hear it, they think of her and they're like, "That 
bit. Oh. <laughs> she and then and I was supposed to be champion, and she talked to daddy, and now I am jobbing out to the wrestling brony. Come on! Yeah. <laughs> God, um, it sounds amazing. It, it is, is amazing. Uh, uh, it they all and. It's also a great example of, much like Dungeon World is a great example of best practices for D&D stuff, um, the, the uh, Worldwide Wrestling and the supplement book, International Incident, also have these great essays about like what wrestling is and how to emulate it properly and what, what's cool about it. And, and uh, the best uh, games of that style are genre manuals like that's why monster of the week is really good because it all it, it dissects and breaks down like here's how to do a mystery and here's how to set up a monster and it does it in these very simple and easy to to, to do ways um that really hammer home the theme of the that type of show so um yeah the that that's a uh that's definitely a, a one that if you're a wrestling fan which you seem to be you I mean, check out. I was, but like, <laughs> now, now that I found out there's an RPG system <laughs> that incorporates that, I kind of want it now. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 it was a blast, and um, I, I still occasionally cycle through the playlist that I made up of all the wrestler themes, like, oh, good times. Good, good times. times. Like, good it, times. That's one of those games that, that the, the players still will like. So when, when, when are you running that again? I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying I want you to run it again, but I, I have my character sheet in my car. Yeah. I'll go out and get it right pocket. Oh. Right, like, soon, whenever I talk about WrestleMania, they're like, eh, and I'm like, oh, okay, just be cool. Just be, be cool, cool, be cool. And all of a sudden, Evanescence comes out. Yeah. And you're like, no way, it's oh, happening. No. With the chair. Oh, God. Well, uh, Rob, thank you so much for stopping by. I mean, like, this is a beefy episode for the fans out there. Thank you so much for... Giving us a nice history. I was full of a lot of hot air and useless knowledge about. Uh, no, that's, that games. was not useless at all. So, that was, that that's was awesome. Great. Yeah, I would, I, yeah, I would, I would love to. If you want to talk about a, a different thing, I'd love to come back and talk about whatever you guys want me to talk about in the realm of tabletop RPGs. Yeah, please. I mean, I'm sure that you have a plethora of fun stories too, mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, I would love to get you back to. Just... I have, a, I have a story about that game too, but I'll save that for another episode. Yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to come up with a bunch of nice little topics. But yes, that's awesome. Yes, <laughs> good stuff. But yeah. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for for, uh, for for you and for the fans out there, where can they go to find you and more inf- or more stuff about you? Uh, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at r o b o w i e l a n d. You can find me on Geek and Sundry uh, as Rob Wheeland. I'm currently writing uh, a series uh, of articles about D and D called Pop Culture Classes, where we highlight a different class from D and D Fifth Edition every week. And I uh, suggest three different characters from popular culture that are would make excellent character D D characters that you can rip off that um, uh, you can use to inspire your own uh, characters. Uh, speaking of WWE, I one of my one of the more popular ones was the Warlock uh, edition where I suggested uh, playing a Warlock based on the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also write uh, the uh, column that supports uh, Shield of Tomorrow, which is uh, the Star Trek uh, Adventures uh, RPG actual play modeled in the style of Critical Role, um, and that has and that has started to filter out of Alpha onto YouTube, um, so you can watch those episodes. And then I'll be and I do kind of articles to support that. Um, the next one that's coming out is me. And that's where I kind of get to dive into weird history elements of Star Trek, like uh, 
like the lost second series that eventually became Next Generation, or like this week uh, we're doing an article about how Klingon became a real language, hmm. um, and uh, you know diving into kind of those history elements, but also talking about uh, RPG elements too. Like I talk about my experiences playing um, uh, the Star Trek Tactical uh, game because it was one of my first experiences, and or even something like Artemis, which is a great way to get a sort of Star Trek hit, even if yeah. you're not playing real Star Trek. Um, you can also find uh, Dungeon Master on Demand, um, which is my uh, service where you can hire me as a Dungeon Master to teach you how to play Dungeons and Dragons or any of the other RPGs that I've worked on. Um, and that's available through Facebook. Um, I primarily do it, stuff in the southeastern Wisconsin area, but I'm also in the process of uh, setting up uh, pricing for Skype games. So if you want to play with me over the internet, um, you can reach out to me there and Very we cool. can discuss uh, you know, what you want to do and when you want to do it. Um, any other places? Uh, those are, those are the, 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 the big places that you can find my that you can find my stuff. Um, I will be, oh, uh, we will also, speaking of live streaming, I will be uh, taking my second dip into the live streaming pool because um, uh, I, I, I played in a, game, in a D&D game in November with the, the creative head of 5th edition, Mike Merles, for charity. Um, but we're going to be doing uh, a special top secret preview weekend nice. uh, of... Uh, for uh, Oak and Shield Gaming Pub, which is opening here in Ooh. Milwaukee. And I will be running uh, Top Secret New World Order, which is the most recent edition of Top Secret, which was the first RPG that I ever got into. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, if you tune into that, do you tune into things anymore? Do you click on that? I don't know. Kids these days with their hula hoops yes, and their Yes, it's Tide fine. Pods. Just get there. Find um, the <laughs> uh, if you If you click on that, you'll, you'll watch... You'll get to see me in action as a, a dungeon master. You'll get to see some pretty entertaining players um, pretend to be spies, and you'll get an inside look uh, at Oaken Shield Gaming Pub, which is officially opening on May the fourth. Nice uh, here in Milwaukee. So good stuff, great stuff. Thank you Very so much good. for coming. You you have to come back. Yeah. You yeah. you have to be our Yoda, and you have to come back <laughs> and talk about every single pop culture topic. <laughs> you just have to join us from now on. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> I don't know. I... No, I'm joking. But yeah, but thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on. No, thank you for uh, I, ho- me. I hope we get you on a, a first uh, sequel to this soon. Certainly, um, certainly, but, certainly. Uh, we'll, it's, we'll, it's we'll, awesome. we'll time it out to to some sort of related thing. I don't know. Like mm. yeah. maybe I'll, maybe I'll come back uh, and sit here because I won't be able to go to Gen Con this year. So we can I can. You won't be able to go to Gen Con Gen Con this year. It's it's complicated. Okay. Um, okay. No but no uh, so maybe I'll I'll. I'll come here and and sell my heart by rambling on with Yay. you guys and stuff. <laughs> thank you so much um yeah folks out there yeah thank you so much uh for joining us on the podcast uh i hope you enjoyed this extra beefy podcast uh don't forget to uh head over to popsamurainetwork.com to find out more information about the shows and the schedule um head over to twitch.tv slash popsamurainetwork uh there's some cool stuff happening there um, that's where we also stream live our Wednesday show, our No Games, No Life, our gaming uh, podcast um, for you guys. And also, uh, we're developing some top secret stuff, too, uh, with some tabletop RPG stuff as well. So hopefully, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys can check it out there. And if you guys got any questions, comments, or anything like that, please send it over to popsamurynetwork at gmail.com. And uh, this has been your host, Jelani Hoon. Joel Pepperaki. Uh, with special guest. 
Rob Wheeland. Um, uh, guys, uh, get out there and join a community, join a group, and uh, just have some fun. You know, it, that's what that's the basic nature of this. Fun. You know, don't just go out there killing people and TPKs everywhere. No, let's not do that. <laughs> let's just let's have fun. You know, will our heroes podcast survive? Spread the word, subscribe and tune in next time. Same Pop Samurai time, same Pop Samurai channel.